Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi and welcome to Constructive Voices for mid-October 2021. I'm Steve Randall and at the time of recording we're just two weeks or so from the United Nations Climate Change Conference COP26 which takes place in Glasgow. So it's a great time to talk sustainability with James Mary O'Connor, an architect with not only decades of experience but a world of experience having been involved in projects in Europe, North America and Asia. We cannot be deciding whether I'm going to do the latest benchmark building here on sustainability. I think it has to be the norm. It has to be the norm that we build sustainability across the board. And of course, Peter Flynn, Pete the Builder, joins me to talk about the trend for rural living and what that means for our urban centres. What does connected construction look like? Viewpoint Construction Software connects your office, team and field. Viewpoint's cloud-based project management and field solutions help contractors of all sizes manage projects, processes and people from the design phase through to on-site completion and handover. To learn how Viewpoint is helping Wilmot Dixon, Kia, Galliford Tri and over 8,000 other construction companies deliver projects on time and on budget, visit viewpoint.com. The countdown is on to the UK's leading construction show. London Build returns to Olympia London's Grand Hall for the Live Expo on the 17th and 18th of November. And Constructive Voices is proud to be a media partner for the event. This year, the show will feature more than 500 speakers across six stages, hundreds of exhibitors, 200-plus CPD sessions, exclusive free-to-attend networking events, including Meet the Buyer, Women in Construction and Diversity in Construction, and so much more. There are limited free tickets, and you can get yours at londonbuildexpo.com and keep listening to Constructive Voices over the next few episodes for more about this major event. Now, Pete the Builder, Peter Flynn is here, of course. Hi, Pete. Hey, Steve. How are you? Good to talk, as always. Yeah, all good. And we have another fascinating guest on Constructive Voices this time. Yeah, we really do. We're going to be hearing from James Mary O'Connor. And James has had a, a really, really interesting life in general, but also his, his construction career has been a fascinating one. He's literally gone from starting off uh, as a very young man on, on a building site to being the lead man on, on a lot of really high-end projects, but not only that, on three different continents and probably more. He has worked in China and he's now living and commuting between the US and Ireland. So he's got a huge career in in the US as well. So really, really interesting listen and some great insights into what it's like to start off in in maybe a small place and and spread your wings and further your education and further your career and, and the places and the projects that it takes you to. So really, really interesting stuff. And that kind of ties in with what we were talking about in the last episode, you know, talking about that that ticket to travel and being able to use construction qualifications to to travel the world and see different cultures. And also ties in with things we've talked about previously relating to climate change and how we're going to need to take best practice from all around the world where different weather means different building techniques, different materials being used. He's had so much experience of everything. Yeah, he has. It's 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 excellent to hear. And also it, it, what I found very interesting was the, the different approaches that each 
country or each continent that he's worked in has taken to it and you know the different kind of cultures and the different ways that you've got to approach construction projects and just those general life matters so it's a really interesting listen and uh really looking forward to to to, to hearing them and uh it, it ties in as well with, with what we're going to discuss a little bit later as well because James a couple of times mentions about the move to the countryside or the, or, or the move out of the city that is that is happening globally, you know, and we obviously have a, a housing shortage or houses are in short supply in, in so many places all around the world. Rather than condensing and, and, and living in cities, there is definitely a move and a push towards moving out to the countryside and, you know, that ties in with the whole working from home and all of those type of aspects. So, that's what me and you are going to be discussing. And James does mention that quite a few times in, in, in his interview as well. Brilliant. Well, we'll talk about that shortly and we'll hear from James in just a moment. Constructive Voices media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. Right, let's hand over to Henry MacDonald, who's talking with our featured guest this time, architect and sustainability advocate, James Mary O'Connor. The first thing to ask really is, how did it all begin and where did, where did you start out in your career? It's not a route I think is available for anybody anymore, but st- starting out at 13 on construction sites in Ireland, making my way, doing drawings uh, for builders and um, those drawings making their way to architects. People um, engaged me and um, changed my life. Ended up getting an education later in life. Of course, not that later (laughs) compared. Greatest day of my life, getting into architecture school in Dublin. And later on, winning a Fulbright to study at UCLA in Los Angeles, uh, my master's degree. And uh, a lot of amazing people along the way and uh, not a straight line. And uh, late first job was to design and and run a project in Japan for six or seven years. And um, I've never had a site plan, I think, or a master plan for my life, but it's worked out anyway. Uh, And I think that that's important, you know, to live where you are and be inspired by people and circumstances around you. All those early years of, of working on construction and in architects' offices, drawing, um, getting into college, um, finally um, coming here and, and uh, getting an education in architecture and urban design and a master's degree um, has kind of changed the way I think about the world and, and my view of, of places and people. Uh, and sorry, just to go back in time again, because I'm sure I think our listeners will be fascinated by this here. You're 13. What are you doing on the building site? What is, what is What are you at that stage? Oh, well, uh, I came from a kind of working class family in Dublin and um, contractors and shipbuilders, small. And um, and at that time, it was kind of a natural that, you know, you went one way or another. I ended up working as, uh, you know, apprentice, but I used to do a lot of drawing and um, I would do drawings for small, very small contractors um, of things they want to Propose on, and uh, those drawings made it to an architect who asked to see me, and then was a big influence on my life. So that, that, that's a, that's hell of a journey from thirteen year old on a building site sketching and so on to Fulbright scholar. Uh, that's a hell of a change. In what time frame was that? So I graduated from um, Dublin Institute of Technology when I was twenty four. 
25. I came over here when I was in um, almost 40 years ago uh, when I was 25. I just turned 25 when I boarded the plane for the U.S. And I was just fascinated by architecture. I mean, I just thought, keep it coming. You know, I was exposed. And I got a different kind of education in the States than I did in Ireland, although a great education in Ireland. But um, here it was more holistic because it was a campus uh, where you were influenced by a lot of different things. You know, you've been around the world, but you've gone back to your Irish roots recently to develop a project at Cherrywood. Now, you probably know this, there's great political controversy in the Irish Republic about the, the perceived lack of affordable housing. How does this project aim to plug the gap in the housing market? Right. And, and actually, just to correct that, actually, although I'd never built in Ireland um, when I was there, um, I actually came back a number of years ago there was a competition for a new university in Dublin uh, called Grange Gorman, the Grange Gorman campus. Uh, it's now called yes. TU, TU Dublin. It was um, a competition to transform a uh, um, psychiatric uh, hospital into a new university and the largest in the country. And we were unknown completely. And uh, I knew it, uh, you know, when I was a kid and, and knew it very well. And um, I thought we should do it. And uh, we were completely a dark horse. Nobody in Ireland, uh, you know, was taking my calls. We did have a great partner, uh, John Mitchell, the uh, MOD, and we um, we were um, complete outsiders. And we won the competition. Uh, we did the master plan, and um, it's well under construction now. So that was my first kind of coming to Ireland. And this uh, project at Cherrywood is first kind of multifamily housing project in, in Ireland to do. What do you think is unique about it? Well, I think what's unique, actually, it's kind of, you know, one of those things, it's, it's an alignment. Uh, as you mentioned there in Ireland, there's a huge shortage of housing. And the truth is, it's the same in England. It's the same in California. Um, we have massive need for housing and affordable housing across the board and workforce housing. Cherrywood is on the edge of Dublin. The light rail, which is called the Lewistair, runs right into it. So it's actually connected to the center of the city, but it's out. And I think now with COVID, we're seeing a mass exit out of the city. For years, it was the city movement to get to the city. In most countries, there was one big city that everybody was getting to it, or in larger countries, multiple cities. Now the feeling is, you know, get out to nature, I can work remotely. I can I can afford something better. I can get better quality. Uh, I don't need to be in the center. It turns out that Cherrywood is the perfect location. It's connected by motorways. You can connect to the airport. It's connected by light rail. You don't need a car. You can just jump this two stations right in the center. This was all in the works before COVID. And um, now it turns out that actually it's the perfect place for the overall town is for about 8,000 houses. Uh, it's on about 900, and, uh, sorry, but uh, close to 400 acres uh, uh, in, in land. And we're doing um, one of the first buildings there, about um, 210 units uh, of housing. So it, it creates a new kind of place uh, right in the center, but it's not based on kind of object buildings. It's based on parks and streets and plazas and real places. And much of that, actually, the local council insisted that a lot of that be built first, which is unusual. Often that comes later. So all of the parks and streets are already done. 
uh, and the construction of the buildings is, is ongoing. We, we saw the Celtic Tiger boom in Ireland as, as it was known, and a lot of that was fueled by construction. But there were mistakes made, for example, the use abuse of cheap building material. How can these new projects, and how are they going to avoid those mistakes and errors of the past? Yeah, I mean, for architecture, you need an economy. You need an economy, and I think um, an overheated economy is not a good economy for architecture. Everything is done really fast. There's too much money. There's too much equity in the market, and um, there's too much kind of greed. And I agree, a lot of the Celtic Tiger stuff, especially the later stuff, was done too fast. But Ireland has grown now. When I left Ireland, it was a small island, <laughs> you know, a boat out in the Atlantic. Now it's a, it's a European country with very high standards, um, highly educated young population. Um, they see themselves as European and not so much nationalistic anymore. Um, they see themselves as being part of overall Europe. There's higher standards now on sustainability and materials, and um, they're being built a lot better. Ireland, it's peculiar climate. It can be quite cold, and uh, a lot of the buildings were not designed for the climate for a long time. People would get all kinds of colds and, and things. And, and now with sustainability and building better and more environmentally, the buildings are much more comfortable. I, I tend to get more of a cold when I'm in California now. It sounds strange because um, <laughs> our, buildings, our buildings are not. We have got climate change here, and I tend to get a cold here more because we haven't addressed uh, um, the climate as much as Ireland has in the last couple of years. We're, we're lucky. We actually have a very good group um, for the Heinz project, um, really committed to a kind of high level sustainability and, and um, Heinz Ireland led by Brian Moran, the senior managing director there, but they have put together a unique team. And I always think that's so important when you look at any organization, it's not the name or the brand, but it's actually the group of people that that are doing the project right across the board. And uh, we're lucky there. We have a great, very committed group, very sophisticated, and are committed to building an incredible project here on the site. Now, on a wider global scale, your own work has taken you from places as far flung as California, where you're based, to China. Taking those two projects, can you compare and contrast the one you worked in in Chongqing, I, I hope that's oh, Chongqing. and to say the, the one you're working in in Santa Monica, where you live. Yes, well, in um, and I'd probably throw in throw in the the Irish one too, because just to kind of contrast, in Ireland and England, housing is very prescribed. Almost every corner of the building, there's some, you know, function. Um, and in terms of the social mix and and the the way it is, the housing regulations are so tight. Whereas in Los Angeles, it's much more open, but in China, it's completely open, but it has its own issues. Generally, our projects in Asia tend to be really big. Um, that one, I think, is about 3,000 units. It tend to be really big. There's very little market research done. There's very little housing standards and approvals. And that sounds, maybe that sounds great for an architect, but in fact, it runs into all kinds of issues about as soon as somebody builds a project next door that's selling very well, the client wants to completely change things. Um, sometimes the buildings are designed and built for markets that don't exist. 
And it was a very much a kind of tendency to, you know, we'll build it and they'll come. The buildings there, I think in, in China in the last 20 years or so, haven't related very well to the climate. Sustainability has been a really hard sell there in, in terms of the environment. I think things are turning now and China can do that, of course. China can just, you know, because of the central government decide that everything is law and you must deliver high performance buildings. So they can they can kind of do that. And I think they are turning that way. Buildings here in Santa Monica, for instance, the Ocean Ocean Avenue project that we did, the city of Santa Monica needed to build affordable housing. And we have a client here, related companies in California. They wanted to build market housing, but they didn't have any property. So we put the two together and we delivered a project that was 50% affordable and 50% market rate. And the market rate paid for everything. They paid for the streets, the development, and uh, they paid for building the project. And the city provided the land. So there was more of an interest in, in social mix. That wouldn't exist in China. They wouldn't take that. I haven't seen that gamble where they'd have affordable and market rates. So I'm talking about rental and mm. condominium and for sale projects together. You wouldn't see that. It it'd be much more segregated. Would that mixed kind of economy, if you like, the mixed economy work in Ireland? Are you trying that out? or? Oh, yes, I think so. Um, I find that the lack of housing market, both in Ireland and in actually California, is actually, there's a great need, of course, for social housing and affordable housing for um, workforce, we call workforce housing. There's, um, it's really absent in the market. Um, so that's for, for say, teachers and, and police and, uh, and, and essential workers. Um, we have uh, working here on, on schools in, in Santa Monica. I've been working recently with the high school here. And believe it or not, we're talking about building housing for the high school because traditionally the teachers would have lived in the local neighborhood. They can't afford it now. They're commuting an hour or two out of, outside of the city. The high school um, has to do that. And of course, it's across the board. The university is doing it. The community colleges need to do, are doing it. But actual high school having to do it is, is really the next level of, of showing where the market is missing uh, housing. They, um, there isn't affordable housing. There's no subsidies, you see, for um, workforce housing. There's subsidies for affordable housing. And in, in Ireland, too, even when you're earning a good wage, it's sort of between affordable and uh, sort of market rate. And that's a, that's a really missing area. It's pushing a lot of people out of the market, difficult to, to, to get a place, even if they're earning a, what seems a good wage. Is there a universal element that stretches across all these diverse c- countries and cultures in terms of your construction projects? Presumably environmental stability is one key theme that runs through them. I think um, connecting to place, connecting to nature, and certainly, you know, before COVID, that was important. It's even more important now. But I think as human beings, we're we're all connected, our needs and wants and dreams and aspirations and um, and creating places um, wherever we're building. Uh, if it's a small project, we're often making it feel bigger and, and connected to its environment. Uh, if it's a large project, we will be breaking down the scale of it so it, it connects to the overall environment. I think that one of the things that separates us is it's not object. 
focused. I think in the last number of years, particularly with Instagram and, and the internet and publications on architecture, it tends to be look at the object. You know, what does it look like? Is it a cool looking object? And say a city like Dubai would be an example of that. You know, every building is a different, every building is different and every building is trying to do something different. But on the other hand, the streets and the plazas and, and are not working, they're not unique. And, um, and I always think of that Japanese idea of the, you know, the painter, uh, the calligraphy, when they paint uh, the brushstrokes, well, you can look at the brushstroke or you can look at actually the space that's created by the brushstrokes. And I think that's a kind of metaphor of where we're, our emphasis is. What kind of places are we creating? You know, how are we imagining living there? And, and I think that's one of the things that we try to do a lot is to imagine, walk through it and see how people live, not creating an object and filling it up with units and maximizing it out, but that it could be greater than just a building. It's about, in Ireland, connecting, you know, from one end, you have the sea at one end and you have the mountains at the other, connecting elements so that they they capture views, they capture where it is. Um, it's not something that you have seen 20 miles away or in a magazine last week. Given the centrality to connection with nature, can you give me one example of that where the building project is integrating with the natural surround? Well, I think something we have done would, like in the Chinese project in um, Chongqing, generally housing in, in Asia, in, particularly in China, is always on the north-south axis. It tends to be linear bars for feng shui, but tends to be bars. It's almost, if you fly over many of the Asian cities, they just feel like barcodes, you know, just strips of of housing and containers. In Chongqing, we convinced the government and the client that this is a unique site. It's on the waterfront. Uh, it connects to the water. There's views up and down the water, not just across the water. So we orientated the building so that they move with the water itself. They're kind of buildings like waves. They curve and twist. So there's everybody in the unit, every unit has a slightly different view of the water and it's a slightly different unique aspect of it and uh, creates a different feeling. And it became so popular that that's all over China now that they've been trying to do this. Um, and uh, it wasn't based on, you know, we're trying to create a brand or something, but we felt building housing for 3000 people, they can't all be sitting in barcoded buildings that they need to have aspects. And it's like, you know, we still have the feng shui, but the bars are sort of twisting and, um, and embracing and movement. And, and they feel like the waves of the, of the water itself. And that created a sense of place. It wasn't like its neighboring building or buildings, you know, further in the city. Uh, it felt like that's a unique project. And people have said to me from all over that they, they know the project, they grew up there, and uh, that we had captured something of Chongqing. And, um, and I think for us, that's really important that when we go to a place, we bring, you know, we bring our California experience, I bring my Irish experience and, and European, but we also absorb what it is to be there. Uh, and we have a fresh 
look at something. And I think you can always do that when you come in uh, from somewhere else. You have a different look, a different take on a place. So it's bringing both, I think. And and um, we would never build something um, in Ireland or in California or in um, China that we have done somewhere else. It's always uh, unique, um, something unique, but works locally. And it has to merge in or, or blend in with the natural surroundings. Yes. And I think there's different ways of doing that. But um, yeah, whether it's a um, on this particular site, it's unusual in China, mostly on sites like this, the first thing they would do is clear all the site, demolish everything that's on the site. I actually convinced them to keep the old paths through the site. And, and there was a lot of rock on the site. So I convinced them to keep the rock uh, because all of those natural things made it much more interesting. And, and actually in Chongqing, the local government passed a law that um, you couldn't get rid of the rock after this project. And, and uh, our clients were getting annoyed with me. I think <laughs> I was having all this rock retained <laughs> on the site, but it, it, it um, you know, people have uh, lived there for thousands of years and, uh, and and uh, in, in most parts of the world, and like say in, say in Florence, uh, when a site becomes available, it's evolved over hundreds of years. Uh, what was happening in China was the sites were being erased and uh, flattened. You didn't know, have a sense of where you came from. And that was important, I think. Um, now China is changing. It's not, uh, of course, a lot of harm has been done. A lot of places have been erased. Um, but now it's embracing its history a lot more. And that's what we were trying to do was say, let's not get rid of everything. Let's even though this path that walked you walk through the site, it's not, you know, on the historical register. But people walked it for thousands of years, and why not keep it there and build the buildings around a path that has a human memory? Now, China will be part of this, of course. COP twenty one's just around the corner in Glasgow. What ideas, proposals, policies do you see, or would you like to see coming out of it in relation to construction and housing and? sustainability? Well, I think there's a, a huge need now. I mean, we're seeing, you know, every day in the news here, uh, the shoe is falling further, right? I mean, people in New York last week uh, drowning in their apartments. Uh, there's disasters. I was up actually in, uh, in Alaska last week and at the glaciers there, and they're rapidly receding. Mountains are being revealed that weren't there a couple of years ago. It's really an emergency. And I think we cannot be deciding, you know, whether I'm going to do the latest benchmark building here on sustainability. I think it has to be the norm. It has to be the norm that we build sustainability across the board. It shouldn't be an option anymore. And we have to go way beyond it if we're to survive as a, as a climate. Will the big policy shifts needed to cut emissions in all industries, including construction, inevitably lead to less building? Well, I think the industry has been way behind um, technology uh, for a long time. And I think there's going to be a kind of reshift uh, in the way buildings are built. Prefabrication is is back on the rise. Uh, buildings designed uh, off-site and brought to the site um, there's going to be a different way of doing it. It's very hard anyway to control quality on a construction site. 
so I think uh, environmentally buildings being built and brought to the site or huge portions of the building being brought to the site is going to accelerate. Economically, it makes more sense to build buildings in different regions or to build and to have less time on the construction site, uh, speeding up construction. And in what way will that play its part in cutting emissions and being generally good for the environment? Well, I think you have more choices in a controlled environment and the materials and um, less transportation, less time on a construction site, have it more a more controlled environment to build buildings. There'll be more, more choices, I think, uh, in terms of building prefabricated buildings. Now, as you well know, there are serious material shortages in terms of building materials, as well as extra costs on moving certain raw materials around the planet at the moment. What advice would you give to companies finding it hard at present sourcing materials from not only an economic, but a sustainable perspective? This is an international problem. Last week when I was in Dublin, our clients were saying the same thing. In fact, the prices have gone up so much, they're actually putting the projects on hold and repricing it in six months or a year. Although that's a dangerous scenario too, because when we did the analysis here for a client, the prices were up 8 to 10%, but the projection was that in a year, there may be up to 15%. Right now, the high prices are in steel. Anything to do with, you know, from rebar to metal siding to wiring. Earlier in the year, it was wood. Uh, wood was extremely high wood, uh, and peaked. And now wood is coming down. And we're finding now that um, wood construction, you know, um, traditional housing here would have been concrete podium, the first floor to concrete, and then wood frame on top. That's kind of coming, that's come down a bit. Uh, it's not soaring like steel is. Um, why is wood go- going down, firstly? Why do you think that is? Well, there's there's a huge rush. You know, we have uh, rock bottom uh, mortgage rates. There's a rush to the suburbs now to go to the suburb. A huge pressure on contractors. Um, some people left the industry. Um I know in Ireland, they actually shut the industry down during COVID, which was a real, a real mistake, I think, uh, or from my point of view anyway, because a lot of it seemed to be outdoors. But um, those people left the Irish industry and went to England and, and, and Europe. Yeah. All across the board, I think there's a huge need and it's just driven things up. And, you know, when you, when you can't say, for instance, you're buying a new car right now, but the you really want that car, but the price has gone up. So you decide, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pay the extra cost. What that does is just fuel inflation. And so the price keeps going up. And the same is happening with housing. It's just being pushed up. It'll take a while, I think, to get out of the system. Uh, and, and in the States, it's right across the board. It's, it's all across the country that it's happening with low mortgage rates and it a huge pressure on construction and the chain uh, is not there. We're finding not only is it material shortage, but it's actually systems shortage. For instance, you you might get the um, the insulation, but the clips to hold on the insulation uh, may not be there. So it's kind of a, across the board. Uh, I think that I mean, in some places, if you can put it on hold. Um, although that's a challenge uh, and reprice it later when things have simmered down. Or if you can speed up the construction by fabrication offsite, that might alleviate some of the cost. Um, but it, it's it's an international 
problem. It's it's happening everywhere. Do you think it will work itself out? I think it eventually will work itself out. Uh, it'll take time. We don't know, you know, are we in this last pandemic, the Spanish flu went on for four years. I'm not sure. We're just going into our second year now of this. So who knows? I mean, it's amazing. You get all kinds of opinions, but actually nobody has lived it. <laughs> and uh, so, but eventually things will come down. Just the need. Right now, the need is so high. We have this massive exit, you know, from the cities, people moving to the rural areas. But it, it kind of reminds me of what happened in New York after, you know, the terrible attacks in New York. People couldn't wait to get out of New York and people fled the city and they said the city would never, you know, regain. And, and the truth is the city came roaring back after that exit. And uh, over time, and people want to be connected to each other, you know, be part of a bigger thing. And, and I know 9-11 is not the pandemic, but just in terms of one's experience of places that are transforming, it's interesting. Yeah, and of course, it was globally transformative. And yet, as you say, a city like New York rallied in the end. So yeah, it's almost a, a template, perhaps, for what will happen to the society now post-COVID. Who knows? Uh, a final question. It's like one of those bottom line questions when it comes to construction and building and all, all matters related. And is this. Are potential homeowners, whether they're in the private or the social housing sector, more aware, aware now of the need to go sustainable, or is price and affordability still their bottom line? Well, I think it's both. I mean, uh, costs are, are, are gone way up. And I saw in England, too, they just voted on increasing taxes for lots of ordinary people. Um, and it's a big hit. So cost is really important. But I think if you can show... The benefit, we recently put in gas water heaters and in, in, uh, gasless water heaters, electric heaters in, in our house and, and our neighbors, and our bills are down to a fraction of what they were. The initial investment was a little higher, but the monthly cost has, has gone down to about 20% of what it was before. So I think there's an educational element to that to show how um, solar power, alternative ways of doing things is actually not only more environmentally better, but it actually economically can actually benefit you also. So in long term, you can be better off going green, go going sustainable. I can actually oh. save money. Oh, yes. I think eventually, yeah. I mean, this country, hopefully with President Biden, there's a whole refocus. Electric just makes total sense uh, for transportation now. Uh, green, but we need a, we need a larger piece of the economy going that way. Extracting resources is, is not the way forward. But I think we need a bigger momentum there. And I think the will is there. I mean, it, it, I think it could be a very exciting time for this country. And and uh, I know England is too very focused on um, green technology and, and the future. Well, just going back to your own sort of business and just that final question from me, what's next? I mean, what's the next big exciting project you haven't told us about <laughs> so far? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the always the most interesting thing is is what you're working on right now, <laughs> right? I mean, right. in architecture, I always find that uh, it's part of that kind of creative, you know, uh, idea of what you're working on now is the most interesting. And and um, I'm actually working on another phase for a building for a high school, our local high school here. Uh, we're building. We've just finished one set of buildings, and and um, 
And it's based on a new principle that we have uh, established with our partners um, uh, here uh, called open building. And traditionally, schools were classrooms and corridors. But what's happening over time is the buildings are lasting longer. They're being built better and lasting longer. But the way you teach and the programs for the buildings are shorter and shorter. And the buildings aren't adaptable. So open building creates a whole infrastructure in the building itself, raised floors, wiring can be changed quickly, plumbing can be changed, uh, walls can demount and open. Um, You can teach in a very small space or a very large space. It's very adaptable. And I think the same thing is going to happen with housing. The traditional thing of bedrooms, living rooms, dining rooms uh, is going to go by the wayside And it's going to be a lot more flexible uh, spaces that we could work, live, entertain, that can easily be adapted to our uses, that can be tailored to uh, how we as individuals want to live, rather than uh, dictated by minimum sizes and uh, of rooms that that you can reconfigure. And um, so right now, we just finished one project with our partners, uh, HED, uh, in here um, and uh, we're collaborating firms. Uh, it's the first open building in high school to be built in, in the United States. And uh, we're now working on the second phase of that. So what's happening in education here is that the high school now is becoming like the community college. They're really looking at the future of kids and their education. The community college is becoming like the university. Everything is sort of scaling up. Um, Education has a kind of new focus on how we teach and how those environments work. Um, So, um, but I think across the board, housing too will will change to a much more open, open building. um, And uh, you won't walk into a rental unit or um, I think you say anyway, for less, right? In in England and Northern Mm -hmm. Ireland. why should something be determined by somebody else? Why does all the interior spaces be deter- predetermined? Could they be reconfigured, adjusted? Often what we're doing is uh, doors that can move, walls that can move. It's not a huge um, reconfiguration, but simple ways that the whole space can be transformed to be big or small. Or you- We're finding, too, that the, you know, the single unit uh, no longer exists here in terms of housing because now people are working remotely or working at home. How can can you reconfigure your space to work better for you? So that's what I'm working on right now, uh, along with the, um, the Cherrywood housing that's that um, will be finished, I think, opened in, in March of next year. So you're, you'll be criss- crossing the Atlantic for a wee while yet? Yes, I, I think forever. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been tested more times The PCR test. I've been tested more times. I think I've been tested about 15 times so far during COVID. But, you know, it's going to be a way of life anyway. And just be very careful and all that. But I'll be there in December reviewing um, materials and um, construction. But they're doing a fabulous job. It's going to be a, um, a really unique development in Ireland. 
So, Pete, our big interview this time with James Mary O'Connor highlighted some really important issues for the construction industry. Yeah, I have to say I absolutely loved that interview. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. As you sort of mentioned earlier, uh, James mentioned a few times about this whole move that I suppose has been really accelerated in the last 18 months. I think, you know, technology has meant it was enabled sometime before, but the sort of almost en masse uh, move from urban living and and obviously working in buildings in urban centres out towards people living in the countryside, working from home. That's a really big shift, isn't it, for the construction industry? Yeah, absolutely. Like we, we say this all the time, Steve, the construction industry is, in my opinion, the most flexible and the most adaptable industry out there. We look at how people are living and we adapt our buildings to suit them and we adapt how and where we build to suit where people want to live and the lifestyle that, that people want to live. We've had a, obviously a pandemic. We've we've had a, a situation where people have been at home where they've been thinking about how they live and how, how they live their life. And I suppose you, you, you do have that moment and I did it myself where you're going, you know, is it all worthwhile? Is the rat race or is it being out there constantly on the go, 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 go? Is it worth all that effort and you know what when you get to spend a little bit more time at home with your kids and your family and and your partner sometimes you're saying to yourself Do you know what is it really worth my while getting stuck in traffic is it really worth my while you know traveling uh, you know across a busy city listening to all the honking horns and all the, all the different road rage things that go on when you're trying to travel from one place to another when i could be uh, sitting at home and um, maybe working from a home office having a very similar conversation with somebody but in the comfort of my own home, without the commute, without the cost of the commute, without the stress of the commute, and all you've got to do is maybe walk into the next room or walk down the stairs and you're, you're with your family. So this is like the ideal or the dream situation. And it couldn't have taken place unless the technological revolution that has happened and the technological advancements that have happened in the last, let's call it 20 years, but probably 30 years we were getting there. And now we are here. We all walk around. We are half Android, as we've <laughs> said before. We we have our, uh, our 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 device in our in our in our in our pocket, which allows us to communicate with people all over the world. But if you want to work from home, it is now possible due to Wi-Fi, due to the internet, due to all those amazing platforms that are out there, and you're able to use the the excellent technology that we have in all aspects of, of, of industry, but definitely in construction, you, you're able to sit at home, you're able to go through plans, you're able to go through all these different aspects of, of a construction project from the comfort of your own home. And you're able to do it to a good level. So in construction, it's certainly one thing, but in the general population, so many people are in a situation where they can work from home. So what are they going to do? They're going to have a look at their lifestyle. They're going to be saying, right, I'm not going to live in this part of the, the country or the world. I'm going to move to a place where I can still do what I do, but do it in a more uncom- or more comfortable environment. There's a big move. There's a big push. And it's it's not just in one region, Steve. It is global. This is happening in every part of the world. There are so many questions about this, some of which you can sort of theorise about and some which we're already starting to see. So, for example, in the UK, people leaving big cities, London in particular, with really, really super healthy budgets and being able to buy property in rural locations, that is then pushing up prices in those rural locations and making it more 
difficult for people to buy in those areas. So I suppose one of the big things, and I know this is something we've talked about uh, previously, is the whole supply and demand thing and, and being able to build. So in rural areas, there's obviously going to be pushback for building a large number of homes. But if the demand is there, that's kind of what's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, like I suppose if, if you look back to development in more uh, rural areas, there was always a bit of doubt uh, from an investor or a developer's mind. Will I actually get to build, finish and sell my development because unfortunately we have had situations where you know the, the, a lot of a lot of construction projects could start and maybe half of the of the scheme sells the other half doesn't sometimes big shopping centers get built in these areas and they don't they don't take off because there just isn't the population for them and the reason being is because the the young population from those areas are traveling to the cities they may be doing that for education but most of the time they're doing it for work so like James mentioned it in, in his interview. Humans do congregate. Humans do get, get attracted to each other. You know, cities are always going to have their part to play. There's just no doubt about that. And, you know, it's very hard to break the habit of a human's, uh, you know, genetics. And the, the, there's just the life cycle that has happened for so many years. We're not going to change that. But the opportunities now for people to actually be able to go and live in an, an, uh, a rural area and commute and have a good lifestyle are there. So therefore, if you're an investor or you're a developer, you're saying to yourself, do you know what? That is not as high a risk an area as it used to be because I now have a market. I now have demand. So those type of aspects are changing. And you know what? We all love walking up a mountain, going to the seaside, getting that escapism out of the city or out of, you know, sometimes it's just out of your own uh, environment to go to somewhere different. People are now kind of saying to themselves, why wouldn't I live closer to where I can do my mountain biking or where I can do my sea swimming or my running or, or you know, the leisure activity that they do outside of their normal uh, life is more accessible to them. And the beauty spots that they w maybe would have traveled to, um, on a holiday or a vacation are now within touch and distance for them. And they can still work from that location. It certainly meant that there is now demand in those areas, whereas I suppose before the technological advancements and before the pandemic situation, there was higher risk in those areas as to wh whether a development would actually take off. Would it be successful? Would it sell? Look, let's be honest. All of our minds have changed. We've, we've had a little bit more time to sit and think about our lives. We've kind of looked at the situation. Obviously, you know, we're all looking at climate change. We're all looking at the need for sustainability. So if you can do that by moving into a new home that's more sustainable, it's more economical to run, you do feel as though you're you're also making a good input into, into the whole sustainability as well. So there's a lot of factors involved here and there's a lot of positivity involved in it. And there's a lot more options for people because like, let's be honest, would you would you live in a, a rural area and have to commute for an hour and a half or two hours into your workplace, work there for eight to nine hours and then travel travel back out again? Some people do it. Some people have done it for a long time, but you are much more likely to, to live in that same location if you know that for three days of the week, you can work from home. All, all of these aspects are, are, are coming into pe people's minds. And also, houses will always be slightly more affordable in, in those areas, and they're usually a bigger home. So if you're living in a city, obviously it's more condensed. 
there isn't as much space. You're obviously not going to have as much uh, garden space and all that type of type of thing. So people are are using this as the opportunity to maybe get their dream home in a a, a dream location, but still have the ability to earn and still have the ability to to, to work and, and continue their career at a high level. So it's creating lots of opportunity. And obviously th- that type of change in mindset has meant that there's a change in mindset in the type of demand that is required for uh, for construction projects. And, you know, there's definitely a big question about cities. You know, cities, we, we, have, to, we have to consider what's the next step for them. But as James said in his interview, they are always going to be needed. There's there's always going to be a, a demand to live in a city. Yeah, I suppose the the thing for cities is there's going to have to be a, a shift, isn't there? And there there has been again. This is something that's been going on before the pandemic. The pandemic has just accelerated this. Where retail, for example, retail units were frequently. I mean, you go into a lot of towns and there's there's empty units there. That's been the case for a long time. Online shopping has has meant that people are shopping in retail stores less. And warehouses and fulfillment centers have been growing because the high street has been shrinking in that way. But, you know, if office units, office buildings are less in demand, if things like big conference centers are no longer required at the same level, as you say, there'll always be an element of that. There's going to be a lot of repurposing going on, isn't there? Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, you're dead right there. there there's so many buildings that their, their original purpose suited the conventional lifestyle that you know we had pre-pandemic, and you know just the the normal nine to five that that we all lived. So that is definitely something that there there's going to have to be a lot of thought put into. What do we repurpose these buildings for? There's an awful lot of amazing architecture, an awful lot of excellent buildings. And some of them aren't even that old. Some of them are quite recently built. So we can't just leave them sitting there. Repurpose is the word. There's going to have to be a bit of thought. There's going to have to be a, a, a bit of, you know, clever ingenuity here brought in. And this is what we're good at. This is what people are very good at, taking uh, a look at what needs to be reconfigured and how can it be done in in a clever way to make the resource more useful and obviously to make that uh, facility a profitable one for the, the the business owner and the people that are going to use it. So I love discussions like this because the first thing that pops into my head is opportunity. If you are a clever person now and you're willing to put some effort in, there's a huge opportunity here. What can we do with them? It's the, it's the first thing that pops into people's minds when we think about cities. There is definitely a demand for housing. There's definitely a demand for residential. So some of those buildings can be repurposed for residential. But I would, I'm really looking forward to seeing what's the clever idea that comes out. I know at the moment in a lot of uh, cities and all across the world, you've got like the hot desk situation where you may have a facility where people can come in and they can, you you know, rent out the, the office space for a short period of time or rent out the desk for a short period of time. And that's a really clever idea. But can we so- suddenly change every building to, to that? No, we're still going to need a certain amount of, 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 of our buildings for like what we said, the, the two and three day a week situation. There seems to be a drive more towards more open plan rather than the conventional room uh, by room type of scenario. Obviously, that makes it easy, easier for ventilation. It makes it easier for people traffic, as in you know h- how people uh, move through the through the buildings. All of those type of uh, passageway issues are are made much easier when when the buildings are made more open plan. That's the kind of of move that we're seeing at the moment. Again, will it keep going in that direction? We don't know. There's so many different, really exciting aspects to to this move. And 
you know what if 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 people really put their mind down to it here's a here's an opportunity and again it's something that can travel it's something that if you come up with a clever idea you can try it out in your own region your own city and then it could you know be the next big thing that spreads across the globe so you know it's 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 a it's exciting times there's so much happening and again when it comes to construction like all of these buildings are going to need to be repurposed uh not all of them but a lot of them are going to need to be repurposed so that generates more work it generates more opportunity for construction companies and for everybody in the construction industry can see can they get a part of of that massive amount of work that's going on so really really exciting times Steve. it really is now and and mm. uh there's just so many different aspects to it there's just so many different dynamics to it and it is evolving and it is an organic situation you know yeah, and I guess the construction industry has a part to play in kind of guiding the wider population through this because people always hear about change, you know, and the, there's all the headlines about the death of the high street and what's going to happen to our town and city centres and people get worried about that. But actually, when you think about it, buildings have been repurposed forever. You know, we all have probably in our own towns and cities, the opera house that turned into a cinema, that turned into a bingo hall, that turned into a bowling alley, you know, and these things just happen and evolve as society evolves. So it's it's not doom and gloom. It's uh, it's positive. Yeah, fair play to you. It's a great point. You're dead right. And and, and your analogy that you use there is 100%. We all have iconic buildings in, in, in every city across the, the, the world where you remember it as a certain retail outlet as a, as a child. And as a child, you kind of, you see these iconic uh, buildings and, and these iconic companies and you kind of think they're going to last forever. But you know what? Time waits for no man or woman and evolution is an amazing thing. And we evolve all the time in construction, in technology and in industry. And you're dead right. These these elements can be looked at. And, and, I, and I know sentimental uh, values come in here and, and people, you know, We've spoke about uh, conservation on this show so many times, and and you know we, we are all about that, and, and we absolutely agree with it, and we um, absolutely the ethics of that have to, have to be the ethics of, of conservation must be adhered to. But change is not always a bad thing. In fact, it's usually a good thing. But nobody likes it. I don't like being told that I have to change the way I do things, and I. But you know, what? after a while, I, I have to realize that it's it was the right thing to do. We can get comfortable with what we've got. But at the end of the day, when we're faced with a situation like what we're faced with at the moment, the, the, the population push will always uh, win out. What people are doing and, and how people act will drive uh, how industry and how the world in how it functions goals. It's as simple as that. Obviously, you've got cultural differences. So certain things will happen in some uh, continents that won't happen in other continents. But in general, the public will make the decision. And I totally agree with you. There's nothing nicer than going into like a city at Christmas or during that those busy summer evenings where you, you can go and have something nice to eat and maybe do a little bit of shopping and have something, you know, a few drinks that evening. That's not going to be gone. Like that, there's always a part to play for that, but it may not be as widespread as what we have at the moment. It may be more condensed. All of these aspects uh, need to be, need to be, brought into how we think and how we we uh, construct. And our decisions going forward, we've got to do what you said there earlier, Steve. We've got to take into consideration people's lives have changed and the evolution of, of how, our, how our lives are going. And again, there's just no doubt about it. A lot of what we're talking about here is positive. I'm getting to spend more time with my family and my kids. That can only be a positive. Now, 
to certain times when I still say to myself, oh, you have to go to work now to get, to, to get my birthplace back again. <laughs> but, uh, but in reality, you know, it is absolutely a good thing to be able to spend less time traveling, less time uh, in, in the daily commute and still being as effective in, in, in your workplace. And again, not every industry allows that, but a lot of, of uh, industries do. And that's why we're, we're going where we are. It's exciting times. Lots of opportunities, Steve. It's, it's really, really uh, interesting. And the one thing that I really like about it is some of the, some of the small uh, towns, rural towns that were kind of a little bit forgotten about. They're, people are beginning to kind of start, you know, taking interest in, in these places again, and they're beginning to breed life again. So, uh, like a lot of a lot of those towns would have been bustling years ago, and there would have been like lots of life in those towns. Then motorways come along, a lot of towns get bypassed. Suddenly, you, you nearly forget they're there. But now those those towns and regions are beginning to get more people coming to them and you know it's breeding life the populations are growing in these areas suddenly you know all of the local sports clubs are back live again there's gyms are, are opening up then obviously there's more social stuff happening so again that's all very positive stuff so it's just about a shift rather than a change is really what's happening here and again it's not for everybody you know there's people probably listening to, to, to us now going well you know what I'm happy where I am and I'm staying exactly where I am and you know what that's that's great but you know what there is more options now that's I suppose what we're saying there's more options and some people are definitely taking the move to the countryside as an option yeah, I mean, it's all exciting stuff and it's a topic, you know, whether we're talking about the rural side of things or the urban side that we'll be revisiting time and again, I imagine, because it's such a big topic and it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Pete, as always, it's been good to talk. Steve, I'm moving to the country. I'm going to eat a lot of peaches. <laughs> That's how I'm feeling right now. Cheers, mate. We, we now have to pay somebody for that music you've just sung there. So, uh, <laughs> oh, sorry about that. Producer Jackie's going to be furious. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Great to talk to you. Cheers, Pete. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Subscribe or follow to get the latest episodes automatically using your favourite podcast app. Share, comment and review the podcast if you can. And check out our website, constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something.